A song that has had my attention for a while is this song, Better Than I Deserve. And uh, it's a great song, and you hear uh, Sammy and Bruce Fry sing this song. And they do such a great job, I can't do it justice. I've never sung this song publicly, but uh, I know we're getting ready to at home. Uh, my wife has been learning some of the violin parts, and we're trying to put it together. Uh, so uh, in its crude form, we'll sing it uh, this morning. But I pray that you get the message. And it just talks about uh, how the, the, the person singing, certainly I feel this way, is just so thankful for what God has done, first in salvation, at Calvary, and uh, how he has uh, loved us, uh, even though we are selfish and we are sometimes unlovable. And the songwriter sings about that. And uh, the whole thrust of the song is, whatever happens tomorrow, even if it's bad, that's better than I deserve. And uh, it's good to reflect on that and uh, just realize how blessed we are. So, uh, by God's grace, I'll try to sing it for you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me forgiveness without end. Thank you, Lord, for Calvary, your love for sinful man. I thank you for your mercy and for grace that never ends. For loving me unselfishly when so unloving I have been. Every day I praise your name, thankful I can serve. And no matter what tomorrow brings, it's better than I deserve. Thank you, Lord, for family, for kind and precious friends. Thank you for a faithful wife, my dearest and best friend. I'm grateful for eternal life and for purpose in my pain. For helping me to realize that to die for me is gain. Every day I praise your name, thankful I can serve. And no matter what tomorrow brings, it's better than I deserve. Thank you for your presence and for strength to carry on. Thankful for the peace of God when trials linger on. Every day I praise your name, thankful I can serve. And no matter what tomorrow brings, it's better than I deserve. Oh, it's better than I deserve. Amen. Well, I guess while we're singing songs, I'll try to sing this other song for you. I like to sing this song every once in a while, and uh, it's called He Calmed the Storm. And it talks about the madman of Gadara and uh, the man that was full of the devils. 
And uh, the Lord, of course, uh, cast those devils out of him. But uh, just prior to that account, uh, Jesus is out on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And, of course, the storm rages, and they're afraid. But Jesus calms the storm. And in the songwriter's mind, that, that madman is looking out there and seeing this supernatural event. And he's saying there's something about the man that calms the storm. I've been over to Israel, and I've stood up in the Gadarenes where uh, that account took place. And you can clearly look right out on the Lake Gennesaret there, that, that, that place where he calmed the storm. And it's a very foggy place, and it's a place that's kind of eerie. And uh, when you go across, uh, the, the disciples, some of them were fishermen, but most of them never ventured to the Gadarenes because it was a fearful place. They called that water the abyss, and they would never venture on the other side. And I could, I've been on the, the boat on that body of water, and when you come across the other side, the fog is there. I'm telling you, they, they heard the madman before they saw him. And can you imagine living through the storm and being all that, going through all that, and then here comes this crazy man. And uh, Jesus comes out there, and of course, he makes him whole, and those devils leave him. And this song is about that man and how Jesus set him free. It's called, he call, he, how, uh, <laughs> I can't even think of the, the title. He Calmed the Storm, thank you. From the tomb I could see midst the lightning and thunder A tiny ship about to go under And I laughed as they tried in vain Rough waters to ford Something happened then I'll never forget And still don't quite understand but a man in the boat would keep them afloat with just a wave of his hand. He calmed the storm on the sea that was raging, still the tempest that nature was waging against their battered form. There came a peace, angry winds grew silent, the water lay still that once was so violent. There's something about the man who calmed the storm. Many times they would try, but no one could tame me. Even chains could never contain me. I'd run to the cold, dark tombs and dwell there alone. Till the man on board the boat came ashore who had calmed the storm on the sea. At his feet I would fall, cause I knew he could calm the storm that was raging in me. He calmed the storm in my heart that was raging, still the tempest that Satan was waging against this battered form. There came a peace, angry voices grew silent, 
Such a calm man who once was so violent I'll never forget the man who calmed the storm I wanted to go and live by his side Cause there's no place I'd rather be But until that day he wants me to stay and tell what he's done for me he calmed the storm in my heart that was raging still the tempest that satan was waging against this battered form there came a peace angry voices grew silent such a calm man who once was so violent I'll never forget the man who calmed the storm. He calmed the storm. Amen. He sure calmed the storm in my life, I'll tell you that. And uh, he wants to do that for you. We serve an amazing God, an amazing Savior, someone that uh, loves us in spite of us. Aren't you glad? And uh, it began that way in the, in the garden in his, with his creation when Adam and Eve sinned. Our Lord came in there and uh, he still cared for them. He still loved them. He still made a way that they could be reconciled back to him and made right. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? And uh, to send, it was already spoken of uh, in the first hour of training of, of just how Jesus came to earth, that God in the flesh would descend to this low place and dwell among us and uh, just... Uh, be born in the same fashion, born of a virgin, as the Bible says, and to, to be tempted in all ways, all points, yet without sin, and then to die on the cruel cross of Calvary. And you say, why would he do that? Because he loved us. The Bible says, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you imagine that, we are sinners and we're sinful and there is nothing that we could do to earn his favor. And our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. And so you don't have to earn God's favor. Just like that madman, that man full of the devil, think of him. He's full of the devil, he's helpless. And Jesus sought him out. And he's seeking you out today. And so if you've never... Uh, receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, it would be the greatest thing that you could ever do. And you say, well, Jesus wouldn't want me. Oh, he does. He does. He does indeed. And he offers you his free gift of salvation. I'm in Numbers chapter 22 this morning. The book of Numbers 22 there in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, <coughs> Numbers, Numbers 22. <clears throat> my voice is a little better than your preacher's I, it sounds like but not much better not much <clears throat> all right numbers 22 numbers 22 say so that's an odd title 
when the donkey speaks. Well, uh, we're going to read the story here, um, a little bit of it anyway, portion of the account of Balaam, and you'll, you'll see this account. Uh, it was said this morning about how Jesus quoted the Bible, and he believed in these things. I believe this happened. I believe a donkey actually spoke. And you say, that's crazy. There's nothing too hard for our God. God could create the world. He could create a donkey and allow him to speak. And so uh, if he spoke to me, I think I would freak out a little bit, all right? But um, I believe this happened, and God uh, moves in, in just different ways. And so let's pick up the story um, in Numbers chapter 22, and we'll read from maybe verse, let's start in verse 9. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. And this is talking about the nation of Israel. This they want to curse the nation of Israel. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, and thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Um, let's jump down for sake of time and let's jump down to verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. Uh, and the anger, and, and I'll pause there. It's not part of our message this morning, but I'll just say, evidently there was something that Balaam didn't get the message. Sometimes uh, I think of just the way even my own children work. You know, you, you say, someone wants to take your boy to go get ice cream, but his mama wants him there for dinner. Can you go? Can I go with my friend? Can I go with my friend? Can I go with my friend? Listen, are you, I don't want you to go and get ice cream. That will spoil your dinner. Do you hear what I'm saying? Can I go with my friend? Can I go with my friend? And the friend's going to get ice cream. And, and so we're talking, and then all of a sudden I say, go with your friend. But you remember, remember what I said. But, you know, it's like right over his head. Dad said I could go. Is that what I, I didn't say you could go get ice cream. I said, you can go, but you better do what I told you to do. And so there's some things like that, I believe, that are happening here. God's anger was kindled, verse 22, because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding, Balaam was riding upon his ass, and the two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and the sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way, and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall beside on this side, and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. 
And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore... If it displeased thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Let's pray. Lord, I pray one more time, Lord, in this place that you'd help me, Lord, to speak your truth. We've read your word, and Lord, we know your Bible does not return void. Even the reading of the word of God can just do amazing works in our heart. I pray, God, you'd open our heart and our understanding. Help me, Lord, to be out of the way. Lord, I submit myself now to you. And God, I pray that you'd help deliver the message. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, hold your place in numbers, and I want you to turn to Matthew 25. We won't won't develop too much of Matthew 25. I just want to introduce a phrase that God uses in his Bible, and we'll be right back to Numbers 22. And we'll spend our time this morning in the story, the account of of Balaam. But in Matthew 25, we look down in verse maybe 36. 25-36. Let's back up to 35. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered? And fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king, the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the, and here's our phrase, the least of these. The least of these, my brethren, Ye have done it unto me. Those that are naked, those that are in prison, those that are hungry, the poor, the blind, the halt, the maimed, you understand, the the uneducated, the least of these, the ones that you would think they're nothing, 
All I did was see someone out there, and uh, I was kind to them. I shook their hand. I gave them a drink of water. And God says, I'm paying attention to all that. Matter of fact, I think God has a habit of using the least of these. Now turn back to Numbers 22. Because we see a very unusual source of God's power in the donkey. We see a very unusual least of these. Now, in many cultures, the donkey is used as a beast of burden. And I suppose there's even cultures that may elevate uh, a donkey. But you know, there's a lot of cultures that look at donkeys as just the least smelly animal i mean a stubborn mule that is just like you just if it's if it's in the way and it's a problem just just shoot it (laughs) get it out of the way i'm just saying that the the donkey is not always highly prized the donkey is the least of these and yet god uses this donkey so the first point in our message this morning is God often uses the least of these. I like to study my Bible and see the habits of God and try to understand His ways. Do you know His ways are not our ways? I mean, if if we were going to pick a messenger, we would pick the one that's the most educated. We'd pick the, the best looking. You know, a lot of politicians have gotten... Uh, elected because they look good on TV. Now we were talking, there's some that are getting elected, they don't look good on TV. I don't even know what they're doing. But I'm just saying that God's ways are not our ways. God does things that we would not do. God took 12 disciples and he used them to turn the world upside down. First the 12, the 70, the 500. But you know, I've been teaching on discipleship at our church And I said, listen, his disciples, the ones that he discipled, were unqualified, ignorant men. Men that you would say, they they have no business being near God. They have no business preaching. They have no business being a servant. You know, this is not the dream team. This is not the the all-star team. I mean, they were because they walked with Jesus. That's what made them all-stars. But, you know, it was not their great education. It was not their great, you know, holy life that they lived serving at the tabernacle. It was not that they had memorized, like the scribes, so much of the Bible. That was not the disciples. Do you understand? God's habit is to use the least of things, the least of these. Because a lot of times, we get lifted up in pride. People that are are musicians, and and my wife and I, we always say musicians and physicians. You say, what are you talking about? Musicians and physicians, they they elevate themselves. You know, sometimes, you know, if, if if you have talent or you have education, you can look down at other people. And uh, sometimes we can, we can just be like that. And God resisteth the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Is it no wonder that he gave grace to the donkey? Is it no wonder that he gave grace to the disciples? Is it no wonder that he uses the least of these? He uses a little maid in the story uh, in the Old Testament with a great 
a, a great warrior, the captain of the host, the captain, the general of the entire army, and God chooses not to send a prophet, uses a little maid, a girl, maybe 12, maybe 13. And God says, that's my messenger. In this account, he uses a donkey. A donkey to be the messenger. Look in verse 22, would you? Something maybe you didn't notice, number, Numbers 22, 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went, because Balaam went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and notice this, and his two servants were with him. I mean, in the story of Naaman, Naaman has servants, and they say, Naaman, if, if Elisha the prophet, if the prophet bid thee do some great thing, wouldn't you do it? And, and God is kind of speaking to Naaman through his servants. And in this account, here Balaam has servants with him. But you know, God didn't use the servants. God didn't speak to these men. He decided to use a donkey. He decided to use the least of these. I'm trying to expand your mind a little bit and understand that God does amazing things. God does things the way we don't do Him. Uh, God uses people that you would think He couldn't use. And so you better be careful of looking across the church and saying, oh, he can't use them. Looking at some teenager or looking at some young person and saying, well, they're, they're, you know, maybe someday, be careful. You may be thinking very little of yourself. And you know, God wants to use you. See, God uses, it's, I would say, it's his habit to use the least of these. When he uses people that are People like Saul of Tarsus, who had Roman citizenship, probably came from nobility, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Boy, God humbled Saul of Tarsus. And he said, I count all of that, all of my education, my Roman citizenship, I counted but dung, that I may win Christ. Well, now he's able to be used. God takes Moses, who is mighty in word and deed. I mean, history says he, he led armies. When, they, he, when he walked in at 40 years old, they said, bow the knee in, in the world power at the time. Egypt with its gold and its might. But you know, he kills an Egyptian, and he tells his men, hey, follow me. And they won't follow him. And he runs, and he goes to the backside of the desert. And for 40 years, God makes them smaller and smaller and smaller until, really, the Jews won't recognize him, the Egyptians won't recognize him. He's rejected by both. And, and now, God says, now, because you're the least of these, you can be used. I'm trying to just show you the way of God. So, listen, if you will humbly submit yourself to God, God wants to use you. He uses the least of these. Notice verse 27. The Bible says, And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And notice this next phrase, And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. See, the ass stood in opposition, 
or if you will, Balaam's not slowing down and the S is slowing him down. He wants to go forward and she's stopping. Do you see that? He's trying to push on. And so our next point is a course correction is not often embraced. You say, why is that important? Well, we're doing the work of God. We're trying to win people to Jesus. We're trying to preach and tell them the truth. You're trying to tell your family. You're trying to lovingly care and go in the spirit of meekness. That's what we're trying to do. If you're brand new to church, listen, we're just trying to tell you about a God that loves you, about his free gift of salvation, how you can have a wonderful life. You say, well, what do you want from me? We don't want anything from you. We want to tell you the wonderful, great news of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you can go to heaven when you die and have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, we're, 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 we don't need anything from you. We are, we're here to give. And the donkey, the least of these, was there to do something for Balaam, save his life. But you know, a course correction is not often embraced. If I drive out on this road and I get a flat tire, probably not real happy. Especially if I'm trying to get to the airport to make a plane and not, you know, make sure I catch my flight. I mean, would you be upset? Would you grumble a little bit? But what if there was a bad accident over there? Or what if that plane was going to crash and God wants to spare my life? Well, see, all the while I'm grumbling, God's doing something for me. And see, we can read this account and we can see that what the donkey is doing is really saving Balaam's life. But a course correction is not often embraced. And so if you're a soul winner, if you're trying to reach people for Jesus, if you're trying to tell people about the wonderful news of Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross to save uh, their soul and save the, 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 the world... You understand that a course correction is not often embraced. You need to know that. You need to recognize it in your own life, in the will of God. You need to recognize it as we deal with people. Because people do not like to be inconvenienced. They don't like to have their, their plans altered. They don't like to be told no. You meet people on the street, you try to tell them about Jesus. And they could be pretty ornery. They could get a little rough. And I'm just saying that we need to prepare for that. The, I mean, the donkey's getting, getting beat like this. What are you doing? A course correction is not often embraced. Notice verse 30. We'll also understand a little bit about the ways of God. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? The next point is that God uses those that are close, the ones that are faithful, the ones that are near. You may say, why doesn't God use me? Stay faithful. Stay close. See, the donkey got up every day and did what that donkey was supposed to do. Carry its master and just do the humble job of just that lowly job of just carrying that, that beast of burden just carried that weight and took Balaam wherever he wanted to go that Balaam wasn't that that donkey wasn't doing its own will was doing the will of its master and I'm telling you God blesses those that just stay faithful 
Those that just do those menial tasks, those small tasks, those, you know, to, to, to hoover the carpet, to, to go pick someone up for church, to just, just do whatever, like a servant. This donkey was a servant, wouldn't you agree with me? It was in the place of servanthood. And see, we understand that God uses those that are close. In the story of Naaman that I referenced, when Naaman is going to get uh, rid of his leprosy, in the story of Elisha and Naaman, there's servants there. And because there's servants there, God speaks to their heart, and they say to Naaman, listen, if, if, the, if they would have bid you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And here's this lowly servant that gets to take part in the salvation of this great man. Because they were close. Because they were near. I want to encourage you to be near. I mean, God speaks through those that are, that are near. And God will speak to those that are nearest you. You know, we all have an area of influence. We're going to go out and we're going to work and we're going we're gonna to see our relatives or we're going to eat lunch or dinner with somebody. You know, God wants to speak and he'll speak to you through those that are around you. And that's just the way God works. You say, well, I can't speak. Well, that's what Moses said. Moses says, I can't speak. You know, it's funny to me, in the Bible it says, he was mighty in word and deed. But then when God says, go speak for me, he, he says, I can't do that. See, he kind of lost his confidence. And so I'm just saying, it doesn't matter. God took away all his excuses. God says, well, your brother, he'll speak. And then throughout the whole Bible, the, the, the chapters following, you see Moses speaking and Moses speaking. And I'm just saying that we can make excuses, but yet God wants to use us. You say, I don't have the, the best education. Well, I would venture to say that a lot of the disciples, Jesus' own disciples, did not have great education. You say, well, I thought God can only use you if you, if you go to four years of, of college. Maybe not. Maybe you should go to college or, or whatever, but I'm just saying that that doesn't mean that God can't use someone that never went to college. Or is, you know, I think the Bible says to study, we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to learn, but God will use anyone that is willing. You say, someone else could do a better job. You might feel that as a parent. I mean, I, I know I have. I would see someone else, and it seems like they're doing a good job, and I think, boy, someone else could be a better parent. No, God chose you to be the parent. God gave those children to you. God put you this morning in Ireland. God gave you that family. God, God puts you at that, at that position or at that place of business. I mean, God chose you. And so you don't, don't make excuses and say, someone else can do a better job. God wants you to do it. Think about this donkey. God uses this donkey when there's two servants there and he opens the donkey's mouth. The next thing I want you to see is in verse 30, and the second part of that verse that I didn't read, the Bible says, was I ever want to do unto thee? And he said, that is Balaam said, nay. The donkey is saying, was I, has, have I ever done this before? See, the donkey was faithful. The donkey every morning would just ride and and. I mean, donkeys can be stubborn, but apparently this donkey was not that way. Apparently this donkey did its job. 
this donkey was a good servant. But now all of a sudden, this donkey stops. And he said, have I ever done this before? And Balaam says, no, you never have. So when we are learning the ways of God, I want you to understand when things are out of the, the normal, things are unusual, let me just give you my bullet point, God embraces the unusual. I find God embraces the unusual. And I, and I find that when things are a little bit out of the ordinary, it just may be God. You ought to open your eyes. God stops you in the way. Maybe there's someone that you need to talk to. Maybe there's someone that you need to tell about Jesus. Because God works this way. Maybe, maybe there's a reason why, why uh, you're late or you miss the plane or, or the, the tire is flat and you can't go on. You know, God does not make mistakes. And I'm telling you, when things are out of the ordinary, someone just stops you and ask you a question, they've never asked a question like that before, don't you know that God embraces the unusual, and God's working behind the scenes. Now, we can look at this story, and we can say, well, yeah, we know God is doing all of this, but sometimes when we're in our story, we don't see God. We're just kind of blind to that. And I'm trying to get you to understand, listen, God is doing things all around us. He's speaking, he's guiding, he's directing. He goes before us, and we need to start paying attention and saying, God, what, where, who am I supposed to talk to today? And what am I supposed to do? He'll show you if you open your eyes. But God embraces the unusual. The donkey's behavior was unusual. You know, I've seen people run to Christ because God did something unusual in their life. God changed them. God changed their life, and people look and they sit, the onlookers look and say, that must be God. If that man could stop drinking after all those years, that's got to be God. I mean, if, if this woman, all of a sudden, she's, she's uh, sweet and submissive, and, and her whole demeanor has changed, that's got to be God. This man who used to be a fighter, well, now all he wants is peace. There's, there's got to be a God in heaven. And I'm just saying... When they saw the madman of Gadara change, clothed in his right mind, they said, whoa, this, that's got to be God. Amen. And, uh, that, you know, God embraces the unusual. And so many come to Christ because of that supernatural power that causes a change in their behavior. Let me give you the next point. God will open the eyes of the person he is speaking to. God will open the eyes of the person he's speaking to. In this account, Balaam is going and Balaam's trying to go forward and that's a picture of us. We're just trying to go forward and we're getting stopped and we're frustrated and we're beating you know, whoever's around us. We're taking it out on the children, on the family, maybe not physically, but sometimes verbally, sometimes in our attitude. But don't you know that God could let us go or God sometimes is stopping us? If you're being stopped, just pay attention. It might be God. You say, well, how do I know? Just, just, just pray. Just have a prayerful spirit about it. Maybe God will let you go forward, but for some reason now he's got you stopped. You ought to say, Lord, what is it that you want me to learn through this? God, is it, are you trying to tell me I shouldn't go forward this way? Or maybe not now. And I'm just saying that God... You know, he, he's in this story, 
with Balaam, and he's in the midst of all this, and Balaam can't see any of this. How frustrating is it when you're trying to win someone to Christ, or you're trying to see, listen, everyone else can see this is not a good idea. You should not be with this person, or, or whatever the case may be. It seems like everyone else can see it, but they can't see it. And I'm just saying, have confidence because we, have, we understand how God works. You read your Bible, you understand how God works. And I'm telling you, God will open the eyes of the person he is speaking to. If you're praying, if you're witnessing to them, and you're saying, God, would you, would you just open their eyes and open their hearts so they could understand the gospel? God, would you speak to them? God will come to them at night. He'll speak to their heart. He'll do things that you can't do. But I promise you, he will open their eyes. He will open their eyes. Now, they may reject God. They may, they, they may choose to say, I don't want that, and I'm going to stay in darkness. But I mean, when we, when we stand before God, no one's going to be able to stand there and say, God, I didn't know. I didn't know that you died on the cross for me. I didn't know that there was a God in heaven. Somehow, some way, God makes a way. And I'm telling you, God will open their eyes. So keep on praying. Keep on witnessing. And, and I'm telling you, if you're in this position, and you kind of feel like you're in darkness, maybe you're a Christian, but you're going forward in life, and you're saying, I just don't know what God's trying to show me. Oh, I've been there many times. Have confidence. God will open your eyes. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's some things that we don't understand this side of heaven. There's some things we're only going to know in the by and by when we get up to heaven. We don't get to know everything here. But I'm telling you, God at some level will open our eyes. And I've seen it time and again in my life and the life of others. I see it in the Word of God where He reveals His will to them. He tells them what He wants them to do. And God will open to the eyes of the person, notice, that he is speaking to. God was the one that was trying to get the message to Balaam. And if God's trying to get the message to, to that person for salvation or whatever it is, God's trying to tell me something, God's trying to tell you something, he will not fail. He will open the eyes to the person that he's speaking to. And then akin to that, the heavenly message will be made known. The heavenly message will be made known. That's not just to us, but even maybe to others. The servants are there. I mean, God, God is, is doing things in a, on a big platform, on a big scale. And the heavenly message will be made known. You might remember in the Old Testament, there's a book called Job. It looks like Job. <laughs> it's spelled J-O-B. And it's a man's name, Job. And Job is righteous. And he, he follows God, but he... God chooses because of this whole scenario to give God glory. And, and I can't take the time this morning to tell you the, all of the whys. I don't even think we fully understand. But God allows Job to go through a difficult time. And he loses his children and he loses his job. And he, it's really bad for Job. And Job has done nothing wrong. Now I find many of the times when I'm in trouble, I don't know about you, it's probably because I did do something wrong. And it's good when things are not going well to say, God, is it me? Is it something that I'm doing? Should I be doing something different? Should I be doing something better? But in this case, Job had done nothing wrong. And 
his friends are accusing him. And they're saying, you must have done something wicked. Now, they were wrong. And Job was righteous. That tells us we better be careful about what we say about people. You say, well, they're really going through it. They must be wicked. Maybe not. Be careful. Be careful. But what I'm saying here is that the heavenly message will be made known. And sooner or later, God will reveal it. In the story of Job, it gets down to the end of that thing. And God says, unless, listen, Job is right and you're wrong. And if you don't go to Job and ask him to pray for you, how humbling is that? That they have to go back and say, Job, we are wrong. And God said, if we don't come and ask humbly for you to pray for us, we're going to be in trouble. And they have to come back to Job. But what I'm saying, the point that we're trying to get here is the heavenly message will be made known. Don't worry about what's going on in your life. Listen, God keeps the record. God straightened it all out. You say, yeah, but this or that, or this one's talking about me, or this is not going right, or, or whatever. They're, they're looking at me. The heavenly message will be made known. Just li- listen, you serve God, and you follow God, and God has a way of doing that. He did that in the life of David. Saul was saying, he was telling the whole nation, David is, is evil, he's against me, he's trying to steal the kingdom. No, he wasn't. There was no more loyal servant to that king than David. And yet God raised him up in his time. So the heavenly message will be made known. Next bullet point. It is because of the donkey, and what I mean by that is the simple, the unworthy. Remember, we, we, we said that the donkey represents the least of these. It is because of the donkey that you have been saved. Now, I understand Jesus is the one, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, God is why we're saved. He's the one that does the saving. But God chose to use the least of these. And and somewhere down the line, God used the least of these. God used the donkey to carry the word of God, to translate the word of God, to protect the word of God, to write it out. The, the men like Tyndale, the great missionaries, those that were unworthy, but yet God used them. God used the donkey to save my soul. Someone, uh, there was an old biker that God saved, and he was teaching junior church Sunday. So actually it was primary church. I was younger. And God saved this this kind of hell's angel kind of guy with tattoos that used to ride a Harley and used to go chasing women and drinking. And God saved his soul. And here he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a bunch of young kids. And I'm in the class. And I asked Jesus to save me. So what I'm saying is, God uses the donkey. God uses the least of these. It is because of the donkey that you've been saved. I'm trying to get you to understand God wants to use you, even though you're a donkey. Oh, don't say, say that to the Irish. Call them a donkey. They'll never have you come back. Listen, I'm a donkey. I'm just a simple servant. That's, that's, that's what we are. We're just God's simple servants. It's because of the donkey that you've been saved. God chose to use unworthy humanity to deliver the message. And then the last point, God gets the glory when the donkey speaks. Notice verse 34, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me, 
Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. God gets the glory when the donkey speaks. I mean, here we see in, in, in verse 31, I mean, just fallen. Uh, actually, I'm not even, I got my pages crossed. I don't know what verse it is, but here we can kind of see Balaam falling on his face and saying, I'll do whatever. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll go back again. It's like Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus falls on his face and says, you know, what, what do you want me to do? I mean, Saul, who art thou, Lord? Remember in the New Testament, there's this man, Saul of Tarsus, and he's persecuting the church. And God op- gets the message across, and God opens his eyes. All the same points, kind of, of what we see in our story this morning. And God gets his attention. And he says, who art thou? And Jesus makes known to him, I'm who thou persecutest. See, sometimes we're going forward, maybe in our family tradition, our family religion, and all of a sudden God arrests our attention. And we thought we were doing right. We thought we were going the right way. We thought we were trying to be a better person, and God makes known, know what you're doing. You're going the wrong way. You're doing this in your own strength. And listen, you need to repent of your way and turn towards God above. Turn towards my Bible. Turn towards the only way that's going to get you to heaven. And here, through all of this, God gets the glory when the donkey just speaks. When you open your mouth and witness to someone, when the donkey speaks, God gets the glory. Someone can be saved because you will open your mouth. That simple donkey delivering the message that God put in our heart. And God opened our eyes. See, God opens our eyes. See, the donkey could see something that they couldn't see. And so we need to tell that story. When we can see something that maybe the other one can't see, the lost man, the one that doesn't know Jesus, that have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, they live in darkness. They can't see what you see. And you better open your mouth. You better speak because God reveal this to you you know how to get to heaven and it's in the bible it's been shown you because god gets the glory when the donkey speaks i think of the famous dl moody you might have heard his name and dl moody was a great preacher and a great man that started the sunday schools and just impacted a lot of people for christ Most people don't know the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was the man that led D.L. Moody to Christ. And we remember the man that did this great work, but sometimes the man behind the man, the man that was just the simple servant to win that one to Christ. How different would it be if Edward Kimball did not open his mouth and speak to D.L. Moody because he had sight, and D.L. Moody at that time, like Balaam, was living in darkness. He couldn't see the, you know, Jesus. He couldn't see the, the angel with the sword in the way. He couldn't see it. But Edward Kimball could. In our church, I preach every Sunday, and God's done an amazing work in nearly 40 years of our church. Our dad, my dad started it. I was there in the beginning, and I've pastored there the last 12 years, but we have a sizable auditorium, and there's a lot of people that sit out there, and I marvel at what God's done. Taking us from my grandmother's living room, where we didn't even have a building, to 
driving three buses around town, still didn't have a building, in rented buildings, till finally we had a building, and then God grow, grew us. You say, was it just like that? No, it was like this. Up and down. These people leave the church. You know, this, people come to the church. It's up and down. Church work is up and down. But I look out there and I see what God has done. And through the, our church, literally thousands have come to Christ. Churches have been started. Missionaries sent to the field. We support 110 or something missionaries. I mean, we broke a record again this year for giving to missions. Our, our faith promise is more than it's ever been before going for next year. And I just think of thousands, literally millions of dollars have been sent to the foreign field, to Ukraine, to other places, to help people and to win them to Christ and tell them about how Jesus died on the cross for their sins. We've helped them physically. We've helped them spiritually. Forty years. And as I preach, there's a man that sits about right over here. Most people in our church don't even know who he is. He started coming about four or five years ago. He used to go to kind of like a charismatic, more Pentecostal kind of church. Four or five years ago, he started coming to our church. He's very quiet. He sits there. Now he's starting to get dementia. And his wife leads him in. And he sits there in our church. To me, he's a celebrity. To me, he's an, he's a, an amazing person. To me, he is going to have such great riches and treasure in heaven. And you want to know why? Because some 1975, we're going back now even longer than 40 years, 45, almost 50 years ago, he was there talking to my father at work in the work truck telling him about how Jesus died for him. My father was a Catholic man. My father, he thought, listen, there's no way you can know for sure you can get to heaven. Yeah. And, and here, this man, Kenny McCord, Kenny started talking to him, and my dad got mad. My dad was Catholic. He was Italian. He said, no. He's, and he said, have you ever read your Bible? Have you ever read it through? Have you really ever looked at it? And my dad got mad. You know, he got so mad that he went home and read his Bible. He said, I'm going to prove that guy wrong. You can't know for sure that you can get to heaven. That's the sin of presumption. Who would be so presumptuous? And he thought all these thoughts. And he, and he told the boss, I'm taking two weeks off of work. I'm, this is a true story. And he went home and read his Bible. And his purpose, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to shove this Bible right down his throat. My dad was a tough man. He carried two guns. He was a tough man. And he came back, and he told Kenny, he said, you're wrong. He said, I'm wrong, and you're right. He says, the Bible does say that you can know for sure that you can have eternal life. And he says, how can I, how can I, have, how can I have Jesus in my heart? How can I have God in my life? And Kenny told him, you need to pray and ask God to save you. And he said some simple things. And years later, I asked Kenny, what did you say to him? I was expecting this great story of conversion. He said, I don't even know. I don't even think, I didn't even know he got saved. I didn't even realize. But my dad asked the Lord in that truck, not in church. My dad prayed and said, Lord, be merciful to be a sinner. Lord, come into my heart and save me. And I'm telling you, again, most people don't know who Kenny McCourt is not even in our church. If I said, go find Kenny McCourt to most of the people in our church, they wouldn't even know who that is. But I'm telling you, that man's going to be 
See, that man's going to have great treasure in heaven. If Kenny did not win, if, if Kenny did not win that man to Christ, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be preaching. And I'm just saying, when, when, when God just chooses a simple servant like a donkey, like Kenny, like me, like you, to just open their mouth, I'm telling you, God wants to use you. He wants to use the least of these. I'm going to pray and call the preacher up. Let's pray, Lord. I pray that you'd bless this simple message this morning. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's never accepted Christ. Maybe they think they can't. Maybe they think they're beyond that. Lord, maybe there's someone that is, is worried and, and they're, they, they are fearful about telling someone about Jesus, maybe in their family or at work. God, help them to use your timing, use wisdom. But Lord, help them to follow that Holy Ghost when things are different, when things are unique. God, help us all to realize that, Lord, you want to use us and you want to get glory for what you use or what you do through simple servants. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.